Oh, shoot, come on. My brain. My brain's not giving me the word. What's another word for a thesaurus? That was the joke. You missed it. Okay. Um, let's uh, take our Bibles or our apps and open to the letter to the Colossians. Colossians. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Oh, wait, hold on. I just got to say, Brittany's here. Oh, my word. So exciting. Oh, my goodness. I, like, think about you every single week. But I don't, like, want to guilt you into coming to church. So I'm, like, don't know what to do with it. So what I'd instead do is wait till you come and then talk about it in public through a microphone. Like, that's totally comfortable. Good job, Tim. That reminds me of uh, on Thursday, Dennis Yatuzis came to uh, Mary's house and told us a story about how, because I asked him the question, Dennis, how'd you start praying for the sick? And uh, he's like, I was 30, I was a baby Christian, I was a chef, I was a, I was a chef at a restaurant out on 113, and all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of my shift and this, this short, overweight gentleman grabs me and says, I'm doing services at the Pentecostal church up the road, and you have to be there. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he tells him, yeah, but doesn't mean yeah. You know what I mean? The insincere, yeah, 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 leave me alone. He was blowing him off. And the guy's like, no, I'm serious. You need to come. So he shows up, and he's late because it's like he's been working as a, we're going to get to Colossians. Trust me. Do you trust me? Because I'm not sure if I do. Anyway, so uh, he shows up late to this service, and he's all filthy with his, you know, he's got his scrubs on and he's filthy and he smells like fried food and the restaurant. And so he's trying to hide in the back. But the, the, the choir is singing and everything. And the revivalist sees him trying to hide in the back and grabs the mic and yells the word, No! You need to sit up front! So that, that's brilliant. So he sits up front and, he's, and, and they're praying for the sick. They're praying for like backs and... Uh, things you can't, set, you can't tell, right? So, so he's just rolling his eyes going, yeah, yeah, I'm sure his back is healed. Oh, yeah, I'm sure his diabetes just got healed. Roll of eyes. You know what I mean? Because he doesn't. All, the only thing he knows about healing at this point is televangelists who try to get your money. So he thinks it's all just nonsense. Except then his friend Patty, who he knows really well, who was in a car accident, who in the car accident, the broken glass from the windshield like sliced all her tendons in her arms so she can't move her, hands, her hand at all. Like None of her fingers move at all. So she's had some reconstructive surgery so where she has some movement, but, can't, but basically she's like, I'm blessed, but I'll never use my hand again. Well, she, she goes down front, and the music's really loud so Dennis can't hear anything. And um, he sees the, the evangelist put his hands over her hands like this, say something, can't hear what, and take his hands off, and her hand, which was stuck like this, y'all already know the story. Opens. Dennis stands up and yells, holy expletive, as loud as he can. And this word, my God, this thing's real. And the evangelist turns and stares at him and points. Come on, guys. Oh, this thing's real. This thing's real. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus We thank you that this is real, that Jesus, you really are raised from the dead. You really are Messiah. You really are creator of all things. All things hold together in you, Jesus. You are Lord of all. That is the truth. And and history is headed to to a place 
where you reign on earth and in heaven fully and equally and every heart knows you and every heart loves you and every knee bows before you and every tongue confesses you as Lord, we win. It's the truth. Death doesn't win. Sin doesn't win. Sickness doesn't win. Alienation doesn't win. Shame doesn't win. Satan doesn't win. Hell doesn't win. You win, Jesus. And because we're in you, we share in your victory and we give you praise. That is the truth about where history is headed. And because of that, we ask that you would equip us through your word this morning that we would be transformed in this time and place in which we live and that we would shine like the stars in a crooked generation of darkness. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said. So this morning, we're going to start a series where we're just going to go straight through the book of Colossians. And I'm not going to be fancy or slick or smart. I'm not going to be creative or inventive. I'm going to read the Bible and we're going to see what God says to us. The Lord basically told me, preach my word and you let me build my church. Okay, that sounds good to me. Because you know me, I'm all like, oh no, we're going to do. And he's like, ah, roll of eyes. You know, the Jesus face palm thing that he does. Let's read Colossians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. This is the word of the Lord. We may get more than these few verses done today, but I don't know. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul starts by saying, I'm not in this thing because of anything about me. The only reason I'm writing to you is because Jesus laid his hand on me. He looked me in the face and he said, you, me, let's go. And how many of you know that's exactly what's true of your life? You didn't get into this thing because you're clever and smart and good. You got into this thing because God himself looked at you and said, you, me, let's go. Now, you and I might not be apostles, but you and I are absolutely disciples, and we absolutely have a call on our lives. Scripture says that every single believer has the Holy Spirit, and along with the Holy Spirit comes gifts of the Holy Spirit that were given for the common good, not for our sake. And that we are to use whatever we've received to serve one another in love and become that expression of grace for which we were made. So I don't care who you are. You're not in this by your will or your parents' will, though they dedicated you in church. But you are here in Christ. I don't mean in this building. You are in Christ because God himself chose you by his will and he put his grace upon you. If he didn't do it, you wouldn't have come. But he did it, and you came. Your heart responded to his call. Okay, now, so Paul starts there. Now, it's funny that he starts there. Oftentimes in his letters, when he emphasizes that he's an apostle by the will of God, it's because he knows that his ministry is being attacked and undermined and not viewed as what it is. For example, in Galatians, where he's preached the gospel to these young converts, and by young, I don't mean they're young in age, I mean they're, they're brand new in the faith, and then later on, other people came and said, ah, Paul didn't give you the, good, the, the real good stuff. The good stuff comes later. So Paul starts Galatians by basically saying, hey, 
I didn't get my gospel from any human. I didn't go to school. I didn't go to a seminary. I encountered the living Jesus. I didn't even get this ministry from the apostles. I don't care about ordination papers. I don't care about institutions. I don't care about human authority or human opinions. I'm not interested in being impressed with titles and decrees and certificates on the wall. I know Jesus. And the information I'm giving you is not information. It's revelation. And it came from my encounters with Jesus. I'm shaking up here. Oh my goodness. How many of you know I went to seminary? Do you think that matters a lot? Oh, it matters financially. Jesus, it's all paid for though, praise God. But the stuff I preach, do you know where it comes from? It comes from my encounters with the Father. It comes from the time I spend in prayer. It comes from the time I have encounters with His love, with His grace. Did you know there was a time when I didn't know Him and then He made Himself known to me? Did you know I hear His voice? Did you know His presence came on me? Did you know that His love reached me and blew my mind? And that's what we preach. We don't preach from books. We read books. They help us. We, we, we listen to the witness of the rest of the church. We listen to the witness of the Holy Spirit that's found in all creation. But, but what is this thing that calls us to preach? It's the encounter with the living Christ. This is what we do. We are, we are, we are each one of us called out of direct encounter with Jesus to the thing we're called to. And I love how Paul just starts there. We're supposed to listen to his words because he's saying, my words are not my words. We're supposed to listen to the apostle because he's a sent one. That's what the word apostle means, is one who is sent. He's encountered Jesus, and Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And you've got this message to convey to these people. There's times Paul even says that I don't feel like preaching today. But on those days, I do it out of duty because he said so. But, but there's other days where I... Not only am I doing it because he said so, but I'm, I want to. There's desire in it. And on those days, I actually get a reward. Interesting stuff. But on no day does he preach himself. And on no day does he preach his, quote-unquote, message that he came up with. What he preaches is what Jesus has revealed. And that's why he's saying we need to listen to him. Because like the others who knew Jesus in the flesh, he encountered Jesus in the flesh. Let's move on. And Timothy, he says that the letter is written by Paul, but it's also being coming from a brother named Timothy. How many of you know Timothy's story? He's got a Jewish mom and he's got a Greek dad, and so he grew up with mom and grandma teaching him the Bible. And somehow or another, he meets Paul, and I think, probably through Paul, he meets Jesus, And so his Old Testament Jewish faith becomes completed when he puts his faith in Jesus, who is the Messiah. And the word Messiah is rendered Christ in your Bible, and that's what it means. So he's the the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. So Timothy, Paul says in another place, one of the letters to Timothy, that he, he grew up knowing the Bible, and the Bible helped make him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So the whole point of the Bible is to give us the capacity to know Jesus. That's the point of the Bible, to make us wise for salvation through Jesus. We also know that Paul, going back to Paul just for a smidge here, Paul was, before he encountered Jesus, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he was the most religious, most educated, most zealous, most hardcore 
religious Jewish person you could ever meet. In fact, if you look in Philippians 3, you find a description Paul has of just how devoted he is. And the reason it's so important to me that we understand Paul's religious background is because Paul traded religion for relationship. He traded what he brings to the table in obeying God's commands for what Jesus has finished in his cross and resurrection, and he gives us freely. He's completely traded all his efforts as a wash, as a negative. The best he can do made him a murderer. The best he can do made him actually oppose the God he was seeking to worship. And so now instead, blinded on the Damascus Road, how many of you remember this story? It's in Acts chapter 9 if you want to read it later. Blinded on the Damascus Road, he cannot physically see, and this is done almost as an outward expression of the reality that had been true up to that point in his life. That though he thought he was a teacher because he knew the Bible in and out, left and right and center, was an expert in the law, and yet all his expertise in the Bible, how many of you know people who are experts in the Bible but are devoid of the fruit? Are we ever guilty of that? Anyone in the room? Ever? That you live lower than you believe? That your ideals are not exactly what's rooted? That you're not rooted enough in the grace to... uh, I'm raising my hand. That's fine. You don't have to raise yours. But Paul, thinking that the Bible is the answer, makes serving God according to the Bible his solution. And how many of you know that's actually an empty well? Sounds good. Sounds like what you should do. But unless it's connected to the grace of Jesus, the Bible becomes yet another way to become enslaved. Enslaved to the very kind of religion that makes you something other than love. That now instead of becoming love, the the commands that God actually gave to show what love looks like now become something to use to judge ourselves and each other. Remember Martin Luther back in the 16th century, the reformer? He said the the first and greatest command is, is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Luther said, this command destroys me Because every single day I realize that I don't love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the the more aware that I am that I don't, the more I resent Jesus for expecting me to do something that that I cannot possibly do. And so the more rooted I am in law, the more I strive for it, and the more I end up resenting the very God that the command is saying I should love. But the moment that I, I stepped out of that whole religious system and into the free gift of forgiveness and life and love and sonship, the moment I did that, I stepped through the door of, of, of the gates and, and into paradise. And now I'm free to be wrong. Just hear it. Let it, let, it, let it land. I'm free to be imperfect and yet in perfect relationship with God. And the fact that he loves me perfectly, though I am imperfect, causes me to fall in love with Jesus. And now for the first time, my eyes are not on me and how I'm doing for God today. My eyes are on Jesus and how glorious he is and how fantastic the Father's love is. And as I stay rooted in grace, I don't get up in the morning and educate myself for how to do better. It's not a self-improvement project. It's not fasting and praying and reading and memorizing to do better and squash all the sin in our lives. It's, it's, that's actually the thing that made Paul a murderer. It's actually a life of being more and more desperately rooted in his acceptance, in his kindness, in his love, in the finished work of the cross. That Jesus in covenant with God has taken on. He's made himself one with us. As we are. Before we did a thing. Before we wanted to try to earn it. When we, when we actually weren't even interested in God. Jesus took on flesh and made himself one with us. It's the story of man leaving. It's the story of Adam and Eve. It's the story of Adam and Eve. 
where, the, where for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is Jesus leaving heaven to become one flesh with humanity before we're interested in him. So Paul has so radically encountered grace. He's so radically encountered grace. And he's so radically encountered Jesus. He's the perfect person to understand the bankruptcy of you try harder to be a good person. He's the perfect person to understand that meditating on these passages so we can beat anger is not the right approach. He's the first person to understand that the law actually provokes the power of sin in people. Because he was the apex of that religious system. All right, so. And what he's about to say to these Colossians is that y'all started with Jesus, but now you're going to try to add things to Jesus because you are now encountering things in your life that the simple gospel didn't seem wise enough to handle. He's about to say to these Colossians in these later chapters, let me just quick, just a real short summary of the book. The short summary of the book is Jesus is more than enough. The short summary of the book is why do you look away from Jesus to other solutions, solutions in yourself getting religious or solutions in, in special services and months and liturgical things and fastings and prayers or special angel revelations and encounters so you can... It's a weird mixture in, Coloss- in Colossae. They have Jewish legalism mixed with... Eastern mysticism. And you go, well, we're not doing any of that. Well, we just might be. Because they view the problem with humans as being that the, our bodies are sinful. How many of you felt that way? I'll just, I just can't wait to get free of my body so I can get to heaven. You ever thought that way? Interesting. So I guess death is our savior instead of Jesus, if that's the truth, Right? But by locating, that's a very Greek worldview. The body is evil. And if you locate the problem in the body instead of in the will of humans, instead of in the heart, then instead of just saying yes to Jesus and having him transform the will and transform the heart surrendered, and now we live in the body by the spirit, the life we were always created for, instead of that, which is the real gospel, you, put, you squeeze the body down. You deny yourself and you end up praying things like less of me and more of him. And you put the flesh. We're gonna, we just got to die to the flesh. I'm pretty sure you died to the flesh once for all when your flesh died in the cross 2,000 years ago. So what, you're, what, are we do, what are we dying to daily? A life lived for me. Why? Because it's already been done. I'm reckoning myself dead to sin. Why? Because it's already happened. I'm already dead to sin. Well, no, brother. If I was dead to sin, I wouldn't be able to be tempted. How was Jesus tempted then? Well, brother, we're just sinning while we're breathing every day. Word, thought, and deed. We sin all the time. Well, if you live by that awareness, you're living in the knowledge of the tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so if you're, if you're living in that tree, which religion is the expression of, then you're actually measuring and judging. 
But if we're in Christ, we've stepped out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil into the free acceptance of the tree of life where everything's gift. All right, that's enough for that for now. Let's keep going. I'm writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. Isn't this interesting? He starts, he knows they got issues in their life that still need victory. He knows they got issues. He knows they got false teachings. He knows they got temptations. He knows they got struggles. He knows that they got a lot going on. And yet he starts by saying, I'm writing to God's holy people. Now, the fascinating thing about this word holy is most of the time we kind of think of it as it means that they, they are uh, very pure. But what he means is you've been completely dev- dedicated, set apart, and dedicated to the Lord. You, it's not a statement about how they're living. It's a statement of what's true about who they belong to now. You are holy. You do not belong to yourself anymore. You have been claimed and laid hold of, and now you have been devoted for sacred things. And because that's true, if that's true, and if that truth lands on us, we've already been laid hold of, we've already been purified, we've already been cleansed, we've already been forgiven, we've already been declared worthy. If that's true, if we, if we stay rooted in that, that we've been set apart, we've been sanctified, we've already been counted in. He's not measuring us up to see if he's going to count us in. We've been counted in. Now it's about adjusting our thinking and our living up to what is real and true, what God's already decided about us, what he's already said about us. I love how Paul starts that way. You can't fool me, says Paul, by what you're doing. I know who you really are. You're holy. You've been set apart. God's already chosen you. It's too late for that because he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will bring it to completion. It's too late. You're not going back. It's, now, if you try to go and get in sin, you'll be more miserable than you ever were before. You know, before you met Jesus, you could sin and get away with it. But now that you're in Jesus, you sin, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't leave. He just gets grieved. And you go, oh man, this used to be fun, now it's not. That's because you're brand new. You're not living out who you really are. And some people, some people who are in a satanic attitude toward a brother, they be, oh, you're like a dog, you return to your vomit. No. One, day, one time a guy prophesied over me, a lie was from Satan. He was like, oh, you dirty fox, you're back up to your old ways. What? <laughs> Later on he repented, came to me in tears, and he had a list of like 50 people the Lord had him for, <laughs> asking for forgiveness, and I was on the list. I was like, good, about time. Because <laughs> he was wrong. He was dead wrong about me. When a Christian sins, it's not them going back to who they really are. It's them actually forgetting who they have become. When we sin, we are not living out our true self because the real you is no longer a sinner. The sinner died. Ah, come on, Tim, read the, read the book. Holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, this could be read one of two ways. It could be read as a description that they're really faithful, or it could be read that they are people who are of faith, which is to say, people who are trusting Christ. I think it's fine to read it either way. And I want to end with this, I guess, since it says 55 seconds on my little timer over here. May God, our Father, our Father, our Father... May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. 
We know that this is how Paul likes to start almost every one of his letters, and it's not an accident. It's not throwaway. Grace and peace are the essence of what this gospel bring to us, and you got to get them in that order, or you don't get them. It's, it's when we receive God's grace that we find peace. Until we learn grace, we are never at peace. Until we experience grace, until we receive grace, until we learn to think from grace toward life, from grace toward God, from grace toward me, from grace toward each other, we are not at peace. And this is interesting because he's not talking about being at peace with God. He's talking about the peace of God. And you know the difference, right? It's possible to be at peace with God, meaning I'm in right relationship with God, but have no peace. And not sleep, and you get TMJ, and you can't help but be in problem-solving, troubleshooting, and probably blaming mode, or worry mode, because anxiety brings blame. Anytime you're anxious, you're not in faith. Already, we just know it. Stop pretending, we know it, right? You know it by your fruits. That's obvious. So, Anytime we're in a state of anxiety, we're going to be prone to look for someone or something to blame. Circumstances, self, the devil, our our wife, our kids, the job, the economy, something. Something's going to take blame. But when we're in a state where we are seeing through the lens of grace, when we see God clear that he's not against us, he's for us, that his covenant is upon us, that all the promises of God, all the covenantal promises to Abraham, they're yours and mine in Christ, and that he has, he has covenanted to be our God and we his people, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We didn't deserve that. It's grace. It's grace. He didn't deserve that. It's grace. When we're in this thing and we see through this lens clear who God is how he, and who we are in him, guess what happens to our hearts? They fall into a, into a state called trust. And what happens when our hearts trust? See, the Bible talks about lifting in Ephesians 6 the shield of... Why? Why does that shield lift? That shield lifts, faith lifts, when grace lands. When grace lands, faith comes. When we see how rich in kindness and love God is, we trust Him. Until we do, we can say we're trying to trust Him. But it's when we see Him as He is... Gracious, compassionate, full of mercy and good fruit, forgiving and forbearing. You know what I'm talking about? When grace lands, faith rises and peace lands. Another interesting point. No, that's not it. We don't have time. Next time we're going to say more interesting things, I hope. But a sneak preview is he talks a little bit, just a few verses down, he talks about ever since we had this hope, all this fruit started showing up in our life. Hope is future-oriented, isn't it? What you expect the future to to look like 100% affects and determines how you're living in the present moment. Which is why I can use a big word here. Eschatology matters. If you expect everything to go wrong real soon, that'll affect how you live. But if you expect the goodness of God looming bright on your horizon, and that, and I'm not talking about like loving God for your own sake, you know, oh God, if I serve you, will you get me out of this troubling situation and make my life feel easy and nice? 
That's not what I'm talking about. Because faith is not a way to control God. Faith is a way to get in touch with God. Faith is not a way to escape trouble in this life. It's a way to encounter God in such a way that the grace of Jesus manifests and we become like Jesus in the midst of it. Because if you have peace in the storm, you have no need for the storm to define you anymore. And I love how Bill Johnson said, Jesus, can only, Jesus commanded the storm because he could sleep through it. Oh, man. Do you like that? Like, I love that. He's like, you have no authority over a storm that, that scares you. You have no authority over a storm that you can't sleep through. Which reminds me of the never-ending story with the mirror you can pass through if you don't want to pass through it. That's fun. So, well, I don't want to pass through it, but I need to pass through it. So we're, we're starting this little journey with Colossians, trusting that God's book, that God's, God's little book, this is not a big book. I don't know, we, we're so intimidated by the Bible. I, it, we are. We're like, oh my goodness, it's ancient and foreign and there's so many words in it. And We're just going to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing when he, when he inspires his people to write encouraging little emails to each other that we call Paul's epistles. Because that's kind of what it is. He hadn't even met the Colossians. Oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. God, would you put a blessing? Prayer team, go ahead and come on up here. God, would you put a blessing? Would you put a blessing on the reading of Colossians 1 today? Would you put a blessing on it, God? I'm asking, Father, that we would be so rooted in grace that we would be people of great peace. So rooted in grace that we would be people of great peace. I'm asking, Father, that you would reveal to us, you chose us, we didn't choose you. That we're in this because you love us. We're not in this because it was a good idea. We're not an accident. We were not created by accident, and we did not come to know you by accident. There is purpose in it. There is divine action in it. There is plan at work. It is your good plan. We, our lives are not throwaway or chance. It is not an accident that we live in this town. It is not as an accident that we have the job we have. We have been well positioned to rise up in this faith, experience your goodness and love, find the joy of your grace, Amen. and thrive. Amen. I pray, God, for us to, to just really drink deep of your love this week. Not religion, your love in Jesus. Amen. God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.